What's your pig pen? Let's pop the top on this. Cute music. There's a war going down. Put your shield and your armor on. There's a war going down. Put your shield and your armor on. Pick up your sword, gather your strength from the only one. Pick up your sword, gather your strength from the holy one. What's up, guys and gals? I'm Carl. And I'm Chris. And you're listening to Digging Deeper, a brand new Bible study series brought to you by Broken Record Ministries. Today, we'll be talking about the prodigal son, but before we drop the needle on that, you want to break the ice for us, Chris? Sure. Oh, no, I forgot my joke. <laughs> did it slip your mind? It did. Oh, oh, I forget how to set it up. First episode oh, jitters. Yeah, I know what it is. I got it. All right. How do bears know when it's time to hibernate? How? I don't know, but it has something to do with the barometric pressure. (laughs) Good stuff. Good stuff. Compliments of my wife. Well, now that everybody knows what they're getting into with us, that's the level, folks. Yeah, not very high. Not very high at all. No, pretty low. So who are we? Everybody knows who I am, but Chris is a brand new broken record. How's that feel? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I'm excited about it. Yeah. Feel official. Official, yeah. You've been semi-official for a while. Like, you have a shirt. You had a shirt weeks ago. I did. Yeah, well, I still yeah. don't have a shirt. Well, since the since the men's conference. Yeah. So, yeah, so ages. Yeah, Ronnie it's, and Sissy gave me a shirt, but he didn't. <laughs> it's a little small, but I'm working to, I'm working to fit into it. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, for those of you listening, and longtime listeners will know, we have or had another podcast called That Philly Faith Podcast. Mm-hmm. And we've been doing that for a while. And... We're going to merge. So essentially what Digging Deeper is going to be is, is a, a, a sort of a spinoff series of bonus episodes. Chris and I come over in the Broken Record umbrella to do more deep dive Bible studies like we do mm-hmm. on our other podcasting forays, whatever you want to call that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good word. Yeah. So similar to what you're familiar with, with the round table, you know, free form discussion, but we're going to be more focused on on specific Bible topics, right? Here, so that's sort of our our agenda, our our stick with digging deeper. It's hard to get used to saying that. Digging deeper, digging deeper with Chris and Carl. With Chris and Carl, yeah, that's good. <laughs> I like it. I'm not doing the introduction, man. <laughs> yeah, the format will be a little bit different. So we'll start off every episode with sort of a, a just a, an open discussion. We'll figure out what's new in the wide, wide world of Chris right on. every week. It's and exciting. Yeah. Cause not, well, cause now I got to look for things to talk about, about myself. So yeah. I got a pretty good one this week. It has to do with why my voice maybe sound a little funnier. Oh, let's, so, let's just go right, into, go that right into that. Yeah, one. Why not? All right. So yesterday I was working on a, a tire and, uh, anybody that's worked on a tire and, you know, knows breaking the B can be pretty difficult takes a handful of pry bars sometimes and this one was really really old so it's like gummy so it I mean it was stuck pretty good and uh I did something I wasn't supposed to do go figure and uh essentially I had a pry bar trying to break the bead pushing and pushing and pushing and I slipped and let go of the pry bar and it flew up 
and hit me square in the nose. I was going to say <laughs> nozzle. That's not right. And the schnoz, my nose. And uh, <laughs> it shouldn't be funny. I'm it's sorry. Not, I mean, you know, it's funny now looking back on it. It wasn't at the time. And uh, I got to tell you, it's been quite a, a few years. And I've gotten hit hard enough in my nose to see stars. And uh, it's not a good feeling. So, but I was able, <laughs> I was able to keep consciousness. I didn't get knocked out, but needless to say, I had a pretty good bloody nose, and you know, now I, now I'm, now I kind of smell funny. Well, I don't smell funny. I smell things kind of. Why wouldn't you say it's incorrect? Yeah, I mean, I hope I don't because I couldn't smell myself if I did. But <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I'm, you know, on top of all the allergies and stuff this time of the year i put that on top of it so i think it helped your voice yeah do you think so, it did yeah you did. sound more bassy than normal nice yeah, yeah. very yeah. alluring yeah because i'm because uh, <laughs> I, I can't talk through my nose anymore so i'm like i'm way down here yeah. right because i gotta talk from yeah from my diaphragm so yeah <laughs> but i think you know as all things there's a lesson to be learned that uh and we've talked about this before, but uh, sometimes it takes a little pain to to realize you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I knew, so I actually had put the tire up on a raised platform, which I typically don't do because when breaking a bead, for me, I don't. All I have is hand tools. So if you slip or something your face isn't right next to whatever you slip uh i was lazy and i didn't want to bend over so got smacked in the nose for it and so but then you know i recovered waited a couple hours till my nose stopped bleeding and i could stand up straight and uh i went back out and i was like okay well i still gotta get this done let's not do that again and the rest of it went real smooth did it yeah i was actually so I was putting tubes inside of a tire and uh which didn't have tubes previously. So it actually it was one of the easiest times I've ever had putting tubes in a tire. So it went from one of my worst jobs to actually one of my easiest just by doing not doing something I wasn't supposed to. So mm-hmm. little little nugget there. It was yeah. definitely a spiritual application there because yep. I know Every time the most high has needed to redirect me, it's taken discomfort. Mm-hmm. The more comfortable I get, the less prone I am to follow his direction. Right. I'm not proud to say that, but it's the truth. Right. And I think that's true of a lot of us. Mm-hmm. I can th- say all of us, but right. a lot of us. I think that's too. It's it's one of those things where, you know, it's not lost on me that that's what had to happen to break that chain of laziness. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I've been as as i get old as we get older as i get older i try to find shortcuts in my work that make it more comfortable for me and uh generally those com- those comforts aren't the best thing as far as safety wise or my health goes and uh, that was one of them and it's like hey a little bit of pain to hey you're not this isn't something you're supposed to be doing don't do it no more yeah so i'm not saying that like God intentionally had hit me in the face with a tire iron, but it's like you said, it's a spiritual application where it's, 
sometimes it takes a little bit of that pain to get you out of your cycle. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to say it causes those things either, but he allows it. It's a fine line between cause and allow. Right. But he is sovereign. So whatever comes into our life, he, he definitely allows it. And there's a reason he allows it. Like, for example, this, what we're doing right here, this, this, this new series of bonus episodes on broken record, us, us coming over under this umbrella for, for digging deeper. Uh, God, I'd like I told you, Chris, God had really been laying on my heart that we needed to do something different right. for a while, for really probably months, mm-hmm. honestly. And uh, I was resisting it because I think you get to a point where, you know, our podcasting, what we were doing at Philly Faith was there was a purpose in it. But at some point, I think that that calling becomes outdated. I think your calling can become outdated. And if he wants to shift you somewhere else or move your calling elsewhere, right? right? We're comfortable where we were Mm -hmm. and we want to make that successful and there was a pride element too i'll be honest with you like this is a podcast that we made this is our logo this is our thing i want our success right right if i'm being honest with myself there was an element of pride in the resistance also Mm -hmm. that i wanted our thing that we made to be successful and that's not a good place spiritually that's that's taking the credit away from him Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and like i say you resist you 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 fall into that rut of comfort and you don't want to get out of it Mm -hmm. And it, it was a few weeks ago. Well, I guess it was last week or the week before. No, it was a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? We, we recorded that episode on Mercy. Yep. And it never went up because I forgot to hit the record button. I didn't know if he was going to share that or not. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'll yeah, share it. It was a couple of weeks ago, yeah. Never done that before. And I don't know why I did it then. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Like, I even checked at one point, and this was like a, what we were recording for an hour and a half, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, we, it, were, we were in the throes of wrapping the episode up we were so we had went through our break got up you know took a you know got went to the bathroom got a water break and came back and even still didn't and like you said i looked at it too and i was like yeah it looks good and i just kind of brushed it off that i didn't see the timer or anything or like i didn't the screen didn't look the same yeah but, and it's real obvious it shows like we have a pretty nice road uh, uh mixer here right. that we record on and it shows the time, the recording time. It shows a little recording symbol. The big, gigantic record button lights up red. Red. Like there's multiple indicators on here to show you you're recording or not. Yeah. And I looked at it multiple times and for some reason never registered that none of those things indicated we were recording. I even looked at one point to check how much time we, we'd been recording just to get an idea of how far we were to our break. Right. Right. And I didn't see it. And I don't know why. I just, at, well, I do know in hindsight because there was a lesson in it. Right. And I'll be honest, it was a good episode. It was. In the ether, gone forever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we, we sat here staring at each other for what, five minutes? Like, is there any way to get this back? Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty devastating. And, and, and you said something about it. And immediately when I told my wife about, about what had happened, she had said the same thing that, you know, well, if it was, if it was a mediocre episode, would you have been as, as upset about it? And I'm like, I, we would have been still upset, but not, not as much. Not as much. And then you know, but she's like, "Well, then maybe, you know, like you said, maybe it's maybe it's going to be of a pride thing where this was a really good up. This one, this is the one that's going to reach a bunch of people. Look at look at, and you know what I mean. Like it wasn't. Look at us. Yeah, look like at what we, we did, and we we also did this too. We, I mean, and now that now that I'm saying this, I realize we didn't do it before this episode. We probably should have is we actually prayed that we would we would 
sh- only share what was what he wanted us to, mm-hmm. what he's being what he's being led to share. And I think sometimes I think that might have been overshadowed by, man, that was a really good episode. What I said was really good. Yeah. Right. That's where I'll, I'll admit that's where, where I was in my heart. I'm like, man, I, I said some really good things there. And there were a couple of stories that you share. I'm like, man, there was some, there was some really good material there. Yeah. That was great. You know, that would have just put us over the top. Yeah. There was a pride element. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And like I say, it, it was gone and it hurt. Like, it, and you knew, cause you, you kind of talked me through it a little bit. Cause you knew I was going to just beat myself oh, up all day. And I did all, all day. Oh yeah. I knew, I knew immediately like when, when i was pulling out of the parking lot i'm like he's literally gonna beat himself up for days over this yeah and he i mean just i i knew and i'm like i don't think there's anything i can do like so no. i mean i i just said i had a little conversation on the way home with god like just you know show him what you need to show him and do it and please and please do and this is a little selfish please do it quickly so he's not suffering yeah right because i knew i mean i knew that's where your heart would go that's awesome in hindsight because he did you know it wasn't it, it wasn't very long like there was a there was a couple hour period there where I'll, I'll be honest i was praying like what did i do what did i do wrong right you know what i mean because this feels like this feels like you're mad at me <laughs> you know what i mean right. like there's something that i said that that you're not happy with mm-hmm. and i don't think it's what we were saying i think it's it's that rut he'd been pressing on me that we needed to change things for right. a while. And we'd even kind of talked about changing things, but never really did. Right. You know what I mean? We changed little things, but I think he was talking about something bigger. Mm-hmm. So that was really hard pressed on me that now I need you to shift. You know, I, I connected you with these guys at broken record for a reason, right? This is, right. this is important. You know, you, you need to support them and what they've built or what I've built with them there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Instead of looking to yourself, you know, that's what this, this was all about. It trained you up. It got you ready. You know, it involved Chris. It pulled you all together, this whole group together. Now you need to be a group. Right. But you're resisting. That's what he was telling me. I didn't know exactly what he what he wanted from me until a couple of weeks later we were recording the roundtable. Those of you that listen, you'll you'll know kind of what I'm talking about because you heard it. But sitting there and experiencing it was a little bit different. So I, I knew that I, I needed to, to, to do something big. Right. Right. With what we're doing right now. And, and this is just kind of giving you a little background on the whole purpose of digging deeper and how it coalesced. Right. But I knew I needed to talk to Ronnie, but I really didn't want to because you know, those doubts, I'm like, he's going to hate this. He's going to think that I'm trying to take over and I'm not, you know what I mean? I just, I just want to support. I just want to add, add something, you know, right. to, to the podcast, all these negative thoughts, you know what I mean? And, uh, I'm sitting there and I'd planned on talking to Ronnie that night, but I was honestly sitting there while we were recording the round table, talking myself out of it. And I could tell Bob had something that was being laid on him that he needed to say, because he wears it like a cloak. You can, you can see it. when he's got something on him, you can tell, right. You know what I mean? He's just one of those guys you can tell. And he did. And he was talking about, and when he said this, he said that when God tells you to stop, you need to stop. And you need to listen and you need to follow his direction is mm-hmm. basically what he said. But when he said it, he like squared me up and it's like his eyes bored right into me. And like, I could, mm-hmm. like, I, like I almost cried. It was weird. Like I, I, I felt it, you know right. what I mean? Like it made me real emotional. I'm like, what is this? Good grief. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is, this is intense. And that's when I knew I, I got to talk to him and I did. And here we are and we're recording this and it's episode number one of, of this little, little, when we 
call it spinoff series. Sp- yeah. I don't know. Sister, bonus, bonus episodes, whatever. Sister, sister series. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. And he used pain. To, the point is he used a little bit of pain to redirect. Right. Because I wasn't going to listen any other way. I don't think. Right. Sometimes that's what it takes. Right. It's funny too, how, you know, and I knew you were going through some stuff, so I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't share this, but I will now. Cause it's, it's kind of a little like little anecdote. I don't know if it's an anecdote, but you know, in that course, of that conversation we were talking about, um, you're running with your, with your neighbor and, and walking and, and I'm pretty sure that's the same episode. Mm-hmm. Right. I think so. Yeah. <clears throat> so I had brought up, you know, like basically the, the point of, you know, just, sorry, just, just for, for background, if, if somebody doesn't yeah, know, you're, yeah, you're right talking on. about when I, I went on that walk, I, I take prayer walks mm-hmm. and one yep. of my neighbors called the cops on me. Right. For whatever reason, they they yeah. thought that I was trying to steal cars yeah. in my own neighborhood, like yeah. like three houses down from my own house, and then I I I had cops respond to me, and yeah, right. it was a, it was a whole ordeal. But go right, ahead. yeah, yeah, and I mean that kind of led into basically how the the neighborhood nowadays is very different from even twenty years ago, if not you know like the Hoot neighborhood from the 1960s where all the kids ride bikes and mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's just it's not and you know, block parties. And I think I specifically mentioned block parties and you know, how we don't really know our neighbors and you had mentioned how, Oh yeah. I mean, you, you said you were guilty of, and, and I'm guilty of this too. It's really easy to go across town to a different section and witness to people. Yeah. And, but it's, it's hard if for some reason, like you don't want to go over to your neighbor and say, say hi. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and, um, it's a little different in my neighborhood just because it's the population different difference. I think, you know, like you have 10 to 12 houses on one block where I have four, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, but I will say it, it was really funny cause I kind of started thinking, you know, like, you know, I, I just started losing faith in my in neighbors, right? Yeah. Like, I'm, you know, I was kind of getting downtrodden about it. And um, <laughs> it was funny. So I was working on, in the interim, I'm trying to be quick. In the interim of all that, I was working on a lawnmower, trying to get it running. Somebody gave me a lawnmower for free, and I needed one. So I was trying to get it running. Well, w- when I started it up, I realized that the muffler was cracked. Mm-hmm. Looked online, a new muffler is like eighty dollars. I'm like, I don't want to spend eighty dollars. I'm like, at this point, I might as well just because I've already spent like close to a hundred in parts trying to get it running again. And uh, so I had my brother weld it. I'm like, I'm so, but he had to take it with him. Well, in the interim of that, all the parts came in. I even told you, I said, I'm I'm on my way to work on a lawnmower. Yeah. And uh, so I got it running, and. I'm like, I really don't want to take this out into the neighborhood, you know, because it's loud and all my neighbors are going to hate it. <laughs> but then I'm like, you know what? I don't care. I don't care what my neighbors think. <laughs> so I start riding around in this, I mean, what sounds like a demolition derby car. But so anyways, um, my neighbor next to me, came out and uh, he was asking me some questions. And so we got into a conversation and uh, we ended up in his, in his garage. And uh, here come this old lady walking in, never seen her. 
never seen this old lady. But my neighbor knew who it was, and he was like, uh-oh. And I, she, he goes, what? he's like, you need to talk to me? And she goes, no, I need to talk to that gentleman right there. <laughs> and she sticks out to her hand, and I'm like, uh-oh, here it comes. I'm going to get yelled at for my, for my loud lawnmower. And uh, she goes, well, I just wanted to tell you that – I put some stuff on your on. She's like, I by the time I got out, you were already gone, but I wanted to give you some stuff. Um, she's like, I noticed your you, you have a daughter that plays in the backyard, and my, I brought some stuff for my granddaughter, and she's outgrown it, so it's just sitting around the house not doing anything. And I would really like to see it being used. So. She had brought the stuff over for my daughter, and I was gone by the time she got out there. Well, come to find out, the reason I didn't know her was because she had been bedridden for like two years. Oh, wow. And just like that week had made the decision, I'm not staying in this house no more. I'm getting up and I'm getting out. And she heard the lawn mower and looked out the window and saw me mowing the lawn. And then and then I'm like, so here it was. I'm, I had this attitude of, you know, Basically, excuse the language, screw my neighbors, you know, what are they good for? And then yeah, she brings she brings over some, some toys for my daughter because she saw my daughter playing in the backyard, thought she might like them. Hard lesson. Right? It's just, I was like, okay, I get it. I get it. So, no. sorry, didn't mean to take so long on that one. No, you're good. You got anything else? No, that's it, man. I'll tell you what, we'll go ahead and we'll take our break. What we normally do on our format is we we take a break before we hit our main Bible study. And when we do that, we play a featured song. So I've reached out to some lesser known artists and, and we feature their music. And it's a good relationship and it's mutually beneficial. I think it's a good thing. This week, we're going to play a song from Exodus Road Band called Prodigal Son. Very uh-huh. fitting. So uh-huh. we will catch you on. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, are we actively taking... Um, like if someone were to hear our our cast for the first time and want to be featured, are we taking music from people? Yes, absolutely. And they'll like be, basically, if you'd like to send us your music so we can use it for free, please do. It's a fantastic idea. So I'll <laughs> I'll, I'll add that right shameless, here. Shameless plug. <laughs> absolutely. So if you if you have music you would like to be featured on on these episodes of Digging Deeper, then find us on Facebook at Broken Record Ministries or. You can email us at brokenrecordministries at gmail.com and and we'll figure out a way to to get that transfer, figure out, you know, how we can how we can do that. We'll have to listen to it first to make sure it's appropriate, right? Right. But yeah, we would love to feature your music. So if you have music you would like to be featured here, feel free to reach out to us. But again, this is Prodigal Son by Exodus Road Band, and we will catch you on the other side with the Bible study. Thank you. ask you just one question do you feel like there is no direction home are you lost and on your knees just begging father please take me home take me home know that when you come in prayer 
You will find the Father there You're not alone You're not alone So run towards your mercy Again, that was Prodigal Son by Exodus Road Band. So way back in the day when we started podcasting, Chris. Right on. Which wasn't that long ago, I guess. Uh, a year ago? A little over a year ago, yeah. Over a year ago. The very first study that we ever did when we were still the Restoration Roundtable podcast was on the Prodigal Son. So that was sort of why I picked this. Right on. Actually, I was going to do something different, but then this came to mind in confirmation after confirmation, or as Dave calls them, sacred echoes. 
<laughs> I love it. Yeah. I think he stole that from somebody else, so I don't feel bad for stealing it from him. All right. Well, you're giving him credit that you're stealing it from him. That's so. true. That's true. So you can trace the credit back to the original <laughs> if he gave it if he gave proper credit. So we're yeah. good. <laughs> so this is one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite parables for sure. Yep. It's one of my favorite accounts, period. And I think the reason is because it just encapsulates the narrative that you see throughout scripture so often mm-hmm. in the way that the most high approaches us, even when we stumble and fall away. Yep. yep. And I I don't know. I I love it. I do see it abused quite frequently though, when it's preached on or or addressed. Right. Some on the extreme end would say it has nothing to do with his his attitude toward individual sinners, but it's it's only about uh, the lost tribes of Israel compared to Judah. And there's merit to that secondary view of it, but he clearly states here this entire chapter. This is Luke chapter 15, by the way. And it in this chapter, there's just three parables. That's what the whole chapter is. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal son. And each one is about the same thing. And he states it clearly here in verse 10, at the end of the prodigal of the lost coin, he says, in the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And immediately after saying that, he goes straight into the parable of the prodigal son. He's talking about the father's attitude toward individual sinners. And I think that's important to remember that because when we, when we depersonalize it, it takes away the meaning that I think that Jesus intended here. Mm-hmm. Right. And in, there can be secondary meanings. Don't get me wrong, but we need to not ignore the primary meaning that he clearly states in his own words. He says, this is about individual sinners who repent. Mm -hmm. And I actually wanted to read before we get into that, I want to read a short reference from Isaiah chapter 59 to connect this. And we might round back to it at the end. We turn to it. 59. 59. Verses 1 and 2. Oh, no. Oh, dang it. <laughs> we use paper Bibles here, folks. We're in the Stone Ages. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what... I was close, and then I flipped and went... And I went chapters ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, oh, there we go. Oh, no. I did it again. This is what it is. For real. <laughs> All right. Go. Yeah, and that is what this is. It's just two real guys having a real talk about scripture, totally raw. So we're not theologians. We're not pastors. We're not trying to talk over your head. We're just dudes talking scripture. Right. If that's your bag, enjoy the show. If not, well, and listen anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and it says, Behold, The Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. What he's saying there is nobody is too far away from him to be rescued by him. Nobody. You can't get so far away from him that his hand can't reach further still to, to draw you back. Right but we're the ones that created the separation. It's an important takeaway from that verse. The separation that exists between us and the Most High is not because he separated himself from us. It's not because he moved. 
It's because we moved. Our iniquities, our sin against his law is what created that separation between the two. There's a gap between us. Right. Right. He can save us, but it requires something from us. And that's where we come to the prodigal of the parables or the, the, the parable of the prodigal son. Right. What were you going to say, Chris? No, and I was going to say, I think you'll, we'll, we'll probably hit on this, but, you know, we created it, but we also keep it. We do. You have to give up the sin in order to see his face again and have him hear you. Absolutely right. You can't keep, you can't keep the sin and expect him to hear you. Yes. Okay. Absolutely right. So I think that will be made prevalent when we get into the verse. Yeah. Let's go ahead and start reading. Um, oh, go ahead. Also, too, I think you know, context is king here. So before we get into this, um, why this parable, why he's telling these parables, I think is important. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, at the beginning of you know of chapter fifteen, it's you know he sits down at a table, I believe. And it's, well, chapter 15 starts with now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered, quote, air quotations in my Bible, sinners. Oh, they were actually sinners. I don't know why right. I put in quotes, but. Because um, I think, I wanted to say there was a different translation. I'm reading from an NIV. And I think there was a different word for it. I think it was the tax collectors and something else was in my other one. But yeah, we're all gathered around near to him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as you know, eating with somebody at this time was your way of of being hospitable, welcoming. Right. You know, you're on the same level. I'm eating with you, right? So we have people that, like you say, feel very, very far from him right? Tax collectors and sinners eating with him with people that in their opinion are very, very near to him and are above these people. Yes. So I think you have the two extremes that are sitting there with him. And I think this prompts him. He's hearing all this, you know, being said. And I think that's what prompts him to tell these parables. Yes, and I'm glad you mentioned that because it, it emphasizes what I had said earlier about the context and the the whole point about this being about individual sinners and their their ability to have a relationship with the Most High if they turn to Him. Right. Right, and His desire to have a relationship with Him. That's really what these parables are about, or, the, or it's really about the, the Father's the main character, right? And, mm-hmm. and it's about His desire to have a relationship with the sinner. Right. Right, his his desire for them, and and that really is emphasized here because these religious people that were putting on a good outward show, but they didn't have any love. Clearly, they had no love. Right, and and that's the whole context, the whole setup for all three of these parables in chapter fifteen is him emphasizing that that the Most High's love desires them to return to him. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So the, the Father doesn't hate these people, but the ones claiming to serve him do. And that's a problem. There's a disconnect there. Mm-hmm. And the grand irony is that that lack of love is sin. It's right. iniquity. And that lack of love itself creates a separation between yourself and God. So these individuals that were putting on the good show, with their lack of love, were separating themselves from God. Right. And they were so self-deceived that they couldn't see it. Right. Because, and I think it's because of their self-righteousness. That outward show was blinding them. Right. And that's... 
that's a danger that we face today. Like, right. like we need not just say, well, this is something that was unique to the Pharisees and the Jewish people. It's not unique to them. I mean, we see it in the church too. Right. You can get to a point where you're so you're so convinced and so enraptured by your own checking of the boxes, as Ronnie puts it, mm-hmm. right? That you don't see how far you've strayed away from him. Right. Because you you define your relationship with the father by the boxes you check, right? And that's not necessarily how he defines the relationship with you. Right. And that's important. Mm-hmm. It's very important to understand how he defines the relationship with us and seek the relationship based upon his definition of it, not our own. Yeah. Because we run the risk of, because that's a very dangerous place to be. It's one thing. These tax collectors and sinners knew how far they were from the father. Right. They right. had they had a, a deep understanding of how far they had strayed. They weren't in as much danger as the Pharisees because they understood how far away they were and how in need of his rescue they were. The Pharisees didn't even see that they needed to be rescued. Right. That's far more dangerous. Far right. more dangerous than the position these tax collectors and sinners were in. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, I, and I think we hit on this the first time we talked about this. I have to go back and make sure, but, you know, the, the, the parable is called the prodigal son, mm-hmm. but I think the, the whole, the whole story could be the prodigal sons. Yeah. Um, cause we'll get into it, but I feel like, and, and by comparison, the tax collectors and sinners were the son, the prodigal son, but then the older son, I feel were in this case, the Pharisees and teachers because and I'm just going to say that and then we'll read it and talk more about that. But I think the last, the last parable of this chapter, I think he was actually speaking to both of them. I agree. I agree. Right. I'm comparing you to one and you to the other. And it's up to you, you know, two plus two to realize that, that, that you're part of this too. Mm-hmm. So absolutely right. So let's go ahead and start in verse 11 and stop me at any point that you want to hit on something that he says here. And Luke, Jesus, okay. Luke 15, Luke 15, verse 11. 11. Right. And Jesus said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So the father divided his wealth between them. Okay. I'm going to pause there just for emphasis. Cause this is important to understand what the, what the son's actually asking for here. The estate is the inheritance. Right. That's what he's talking about. He wants his inheritance. An inheritance only passed down to the son upon the father's death. So essentially what the son is telling the father here is I'd rather have your money than a relationship with you. Right. I want the things that I can get from my status as your son. I'd be better off if you were dead. That's essentially what he's telling the father here. I wish mm-hmm. you were dead because I want the things that come with your death. Right. That's what he's telling the father. Right. It's very harsh. It's, it's just important to understand, because I think we, in a modern context, read this, and we don't understand the severity of what the son's asking for here. Right. And also the the humility that the father has to go through. He gives it. Yeah, because, I mean, it's it's not like he just walked into his house and into his safe and pulled out a stack of cash and was like, here, here here's your part of the estate. Like, right. There was land sales that had to be made because everything in this was land and property. Exactly. Right. So it wasn't, there wasn't cash value to it. It was now I have to go and lower myself among my peers 
and sell my property. And you know what I mean? Like it's a process yes. he had to go through. Yeah. And a humiliating one. Yep. Yeah. And he did it. So verse 13, and not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Pausing there, loose living is, is sinful lifestyle is what right. he's talking about. He's talking about a sinful lifestyle. So he, he leaves the father's house. He doesn't, he doesn't just take the father's money. He also leaves the father's house, leaves the father's presence. He doesn't even want to be around him. Right. So he abandons the father. So if the father here is the most high, what he's saying here is this is someone who was a child of the most high that, that was so in love with the blessing over the blessing giver that he backslid entirely and left the father's house. So right. we're not talking about a non-believer who didn't know the father here. We're talking about a believer who backslid away from the father. That's important too. Mm -hmm. Because there's a, there's a niche argument out there that says that backsliders can't come back to the father. This parable disagrees with that. Right. Because the context of this parable is that this was a child of God. This wasn't a foreigner. This wasn't a slave. This wasn't, this wasn't somebody outside of the house. This was a child of God that backslid away from the father and did so willingly and with hate, right? with animosity and disgust. Right. Okay. So I was, for some reason in my head, when you said backslider, it was somebody that was outside the faith then came into the faith and then backslid back out. But that's, again that you're, you're no less further away from him than if you knew him your whole entire life and backslid out. Correct. So verse 14. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. We're going to come back to that verse in a minute. I want to keep reading, but we're going to come back mm -hmm. to that because that's very important. Verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine or pigs. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. It's important here, pausing, it's important here that Jesus uses the imagery of pigs. Because those who are familiar with the law know that, that pigs are unclean. It's not yeah. something that he wants us eating, right? He tells us not to. He tells us it's unclean. And clean versus unclean is a picture of sin versus righteousness is essentially what this picture paints. Okay. So wherever you stand on the dietary instruction, that's a, that's a side issue. The, the important thing is he's, he's saying here that the son, when he fell away from the father fell willingly into uncleanness. Right. So he fell completely into sin. He fell away from the father's ways into what the father would call unclean. Right. That's what he's describing here. And now he finds himself essentially in the pig pen, right? Desperate to eat pig food, slop, just to survive. Yeah. Yeah. So he went from being wealthy. He, he, he received his inheritance. He received his estate. He was wealthy and he squandered it so much, right? That yeah. now he's desperate just to eat pig food, just to survive. Yeah. And that's actually, I think I, that's actually where I want to back up to verse 14. What caused all this, what caused his desperation here, mm -hmm is the famine. So here's my question. If the father here, who's the father in the parable? God. The most high. Right. Who causes famines? The who allows high. the most high? So who caused the famine here? The most high. The most high. Yeah. That's important. Mm -hmm. That's important. And we're going to come back to why that's important here in a second. Verse 17 
But when the son came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. What's driving the son home? What's what's driving the son home? Yeah. What's driving him to want to go home? Just the the bounty of his father. Yeah. I would say hunger. Yeah. But yeah. The famine. It's 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 his his hunger that's driving him home. It's not his love for the father. That's what's interesting here. It doesn't say he came to his senses and said, Man, I love my dad so much. I just want to be around him. What it says is he came to his senses and realized that he's starving in this foreign country because of the mistakes that he made, but he'd be fed in his father's house. Right. So I'll just go home and ask to be a slave in my father's house so that I can at least eat so I won't starve to death. It's not necessarily love for the father that's driving him home. Not yet. And again, it was a famine caused by the Most High to begin with. Hmm. Seems like you have thoughts on that. I read that a little different. Do you? How do you read it? So, I mean, I I do agree with what you're saying, but I think it's, I think it's, he knows his, like, he remembers his father's grace. Mm -hmm. Like, like if I just go home and ask to like, he's not at this point, he's not expecting to be fully restored. But he know he knows his to me it's like he knows his father's grace is there enough that he'll if he asks he'll at least be allowed like you said to eat and that's what's driving him home right like that's where again it's he knows that's where to go to get fed but he knows like if I if I just ask my father's the type of man that will. At least let me eat. Right. I don't disagree. I agree with that. He, he clearly knows his father well enough to know that his father's gracious, which is a lesson here for us that if, this, if the father is the most high, then he is gracious. Right. Even despite the fact that the son left with ugliness. It was an ugly way that the son left. Yeah. But I can't ignore the fact that the only reason the son came to his senses was because the most high here brings a famine that causes him to be starving. Oh yeah. Unless I, yeah, I don't I don't disagree with that. Let's link that back to what we talked about in the in the top half. Discomfort. Pain. Pain. Right? We talked about that a little bit that sometimes to get us to do the right thing, he has to cause discomfort or pain to redirect us. It's exactly what we're seeing here. If he had let the son continue to be comfortable in the foreign land, his son probably would have stayed there. Because there wasn't genuine love in the son's heart for the father. He had fallen out of love with the father. That's part right. of what backsliding is. So, so he brings pain and discomfort in the form of a famine to get his attention. We might right. call that like poetically, we've talked about storms on the other podcast before. Right. He brings storms into our life, right? A storm mm-hmm. is sort of a poetic placeholder for any sort of discomfort he brings into your life. It can be a literal storm, but it can also be a famine. It can be it can be pressing, it can be conviction, it can be tragedy, it can be a lot of different things. A storm can take the form of a lot of different things. In this case, it takes the form of a famine. Right. 
And we might get into this on another episode in the future, but this kind of reminds me of the prophet Joel. The pro- it's a very short, short book. We're not going to go into it right now. I encourage those of you listening to read it, but essentially the prophet Joel was trying to get backslidden Israel to repent of their sins. Mm-hmm. They had fallen into sin and fallen out of love with the father. And specifically what Joel is prophesied or what Joel is told by the most high to prophesy against them to get their attention is a famine. It's literally a famine. That's what the whole book of Joel is about. I mean, yes, there are end times parallels there, but the whole book, the imagery presented throughout his prophecy is that the most high brings a famine upon his people because they've backslidden and he needs to get their attention. The only way to get their attention is to make them uncomfortable, to make them hungry. Right. It's exactly what he's, picturing for us here with the prodigal son. He had to bring a famine to make him uncomfortable, to make him hungry, to drive him home again mm-hmm. so that he could learn to love his father again. Yeah. But what's interesting to me is that the love of the love for the father doesn't come first. What comes first is the father's love for the son. I think that's very important because we're tempted. Let, let's, let's read the next couple of verses and then we'll back up and kind of discuss. Okay. okay. Cause I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. <laughs> Verse 20. So he got up and came to his father But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. That's the verse we mostly key in on. And it's beautiful. That verse is beautiful. And the reason it's so beautiful to me is because the father sees the son from a distance. He doesn't wait for the son to get all the way home. He sees him at a distance and he runs to the son and embraces him. And in that culture, Patriarchs of families didn't run. It, yeah, it was considered for older men to run distasteful. It was undignified. Yeah, that's and, the word. That's yeah. a better word, undignified. Yeah. He, he again, he humiliates himself out of love for his son, just like he does in the beginning. When the son asked for something that wasn't good, he humiliated himself to bless the son, even though the son he knew was going to leave him. Mm-hmm. Now, when the son's coming back, he humiliates himself to embrace his son. It's the love of the father that reaches out first, right? That reference from Isaiah, his hand is not too short to save. His hand reaches first, but we have to respond. But the reason I mentioned the famine is because we, we, we look at verse 20 and we look at, you know, how the father runs to the son, but we ignore the famine. The father was running to the son long before verse 20. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think the famine's important. He, he may not have physically been there with his son, but the famine itself was the father reaching out to the son to draw him home. That was him running to him, running to the son to bring him home from the very beginning. And from the son's perspective, it didn't seem like a blessing and it didn't seem like love. It seemed like misery, right? A famine isn't fun. Right. But in the grand scheme, the big picture that the son, while he was still in the pig pen, couldn't see was that the famine was designed to draw him back home again where he was destined to be from the beginning. Right. It was the whole purpose of it. There's purpose in that pain. And that purpose is to draw us back to the father. And it worked. In this case, it worked. The son comes home and the father runs to him. Right. I think that can also be even further illustrated by the fact, and we've talked about this, where there's there's lots of famine in the Bible, right? There's some on, you know, like you said, for just a specific people, there's some that falls on specific lands, and then there's more global famine where we're all kind of lumped together mm-hmm. in the same group, right? So, in and, and two different translations, I don't know what, I, I, I didn't, 
I'm not quite sure what it said in yours, even though you just read it. But so in, I have two different translations and one it's, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And then the other one was, uh, there was, there arose a mighty famine in that land. So when he sent that famine, it was only to the area where all this unruly living was going on. Mm -hmm. It didn't say everybody got it. You know what I mean? So that's what I'm saying. Like it was a very concentrated area that experienced famine. Yes. I right? agree. It wasn't a global famine. So it was meant to like that famine was meant to direct something in that area. Yes. My, my translation is the new American standard Bible. And it says that a severe famine occurred in that country. So that it country, specifies it's right, that very country, specific. that land, that area, that specific place. Which tells me that the son that the father was reaching to was the epicenter. Right. He was the epicenter of the discomfort. And, you know, we tend to view discomfort as, as just wrath and punishment. In this case, this isn't wrath and punishment. The famine isn't wrath and punishment being poured out upon the son. The purpose of the famine is to draw the son home. It right. seems like in the moment, like you're starving to death and it seems like God's forsaken you. It feels like being forsaken. Right. A famine would feel like God forsaking you. What's interesting about this is though being in the midst of a famine or a storm, you feel like you're forsaken. This parable paints the picture for us that the whole purpose of the famine was because the son wasn't forsaken. It was the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. the, the, the reason the famine occurred was because the father's eye was on the son, constantly upon the son, seeking to draw him home. So right. in the midst of a, of a circumstance that makes you feel like the Most High has forsaken you, it's actually evidence that the Most High sees you and he wants you to come home to him. Right. Well, then I think it's it's interesting too that that his answer to that at that time wasn't, "Hey, I'm in the middle of a famine and I've spent everything that I have. Maybe it's time to go home now." Right. No, I'm gonna bind myself further to this famined land and be a servant to somebody in this land. Yes. Just just to survive. He was doubling down on his sin. Right. Exactly. Right. Like he was, he was digging his heels in further saying, well, I can survive. I can do it here if I do this. Yes. And then he sank from not only famine, but into severe hunger. Yes. And, and, and even drove and like almost like driving that, you know, that, that pain even further. Yes. It seems right? like he was on the verge of starvation before he finally had the idea where he comes to his senses and right. ah, I can go home. Right. I can just go home. And the reason that's so, beautiful to me. And one of the reasons why this parable is one of my favorites is because this shows that you cannot get so far away from the most high. Like Isaiah says that his arm is too short to save you. Isaiah 59 tells us that his arm is not too short to save. Mm -hmm. I don't care what anybody tells you. There are a lot of people out there that are pretty legalistic that'll tell you that his arm is too short to save in certain circumstances. Right. He says it's not, but here's the point where I think this parable gets abused sometimes. And how it gets abused from what I've heard myself is it ignores the requirement from the son. Yep. It, it focuses so much upon the love of the father, which is important. Love moves first here. The love of the father moves first. Before, before the son even remembers that he loves the father, the father's love moves first. Right. Okay, that's important. However, this requires something of the son. 
he couldn't just stay in the pig pen and say, well, I really love my father. Maybe I'll send him a letter. He had to climb out of the pig pen and get on the road back toward his father's house. So he got up and went to his father. Yes. That paints a picture of not just remorse. So when he comes to us, repentance is twofold. Um, I, the, the Greek is metanueho for repentance. And it's a, it's a, it's a two or three form process. It's, it's genuine heartfelt regret followed by a change of heart, followed by a change of action. So three form, right. threefold. That's what we have pictured here. When he comes to his senses, that's a picture of regret. I regret that I left my father's house. I regret that I fell into this land of sin. I regret it. Him climbing out of the pig pen is a change of heart. I'm going to climb out of this. I'm going to pull out of this. I'm going to, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't just regret it. I don't want to be here anymore. Him getting on the road and actually making his way back to the father's house is a change of direction. I'm going to take steps toward not being here anymore. Right. That's when the father runs to him. It's important to remember that part. He had to repent first. The father was always mindful of him. His eye was upon him. The father was always drawing him. He repents because the father brings the famine to cause the repentance. Repentance is a gift. If you feel repentance, it's because God still sees you, <laughs> right? Right. It's because you still have that gift. If you don't feel repentance, be worried, right? That's when you should be worried. But if you don't feel repentance, you're probably not listening to a Christian podcast anyway. <laughs> right. But he had to take that those steps. Father's eye was on him. The father was drawing him, but it was after he took those steps that the father physically runs to him and embraces him. That gets too often ignored here because repentance isn't a popular sermon, especially if we're going to teach what sin actually is. We're not going to totally get into this episode, but you know, sin is any transgression of his law right. as given at Sinai. That's no ifs, ands, buts about it. That's that's what sin is. Repeatedly, that's how Scripture defines sin, right. and it never redefines it. That is sin, and you can't pick and choose. It's not a buffet, right? At right. some point, if you find yourself in a pig pen in some area of your life, if you have compartmentalized some area of your life and turned it into a pig pen, at some point, you have to come to your senses and climb out of it and return to the Father's house in that area. Right. That's what this parable is telling us. Otherwise, there are consequences, Right. Right. He was still a child of the father. He never ceased to be a son of the father, but he wasn't under the father's umbrella anymore. He wasn't in his house, and that's where he needed to be. The father took action steps to draw him home, but the son also had to take action steps to go home. I think it's very important to remember that because yeah. that does get abused. Verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. This is confession of sin here. It's a picture of confessing your sin out loud to the father, which is required. Verse 22, but the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. The, the father's response to his son coming home, son debasing himself, just make me a slave. Right. I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. I messed up bad. Right. Not even 
at this point, not even a servant, a slave. Yeah. So it's, you know, they were, that's, I think it's important, two different things, you know, like the difference between a laborer and a house servant, a house servant, the master provided clothes and food and shelter and was taken into the house. A servant was less, more or less than a laborer. Right. You showed up, did your work, you got paid and then you, everything there was your own. Yeah. You're on your own from there. The son's essentially asking, just make me least in the kingdom. Right. Make me least in your kingdom. I don't deserve any more than that. And by the way, this is a picture of humility. So we have we have pictured the the full process of how to return to the Father. You know, the the, the full process of of the threefold repentance paired with humility, confession of sin. We have it all here. Right. All of this is important. Right. So the son greatly humbles himself and admits his his fault. I'm nothing. I'm less than nothing. I don't deserve anything in your house anymore. Yeah. I've wasted everything. I've shown you disrespect. I've I've humiliated you twice, right? I don't deserve to even be called your son. The father's response to that is to put a robe on him, put a ring on him, have a celebration, throw a party. That's his response. Right. And we and we've talked about the symbolism of both the robe and the that's a that's I feel like that's a whole other hour discussion. Yeah. But we've we've talked about the symbolism of the robes and the the rings. I actually thought we might next week, if or the next the next episode, right. thinking deeper, actually get into the symbolism of of the robe because there's a connection with the book of Zechariah that I want to make there. Okay, we've done that before, but I think we're going to do that again. I do want to talk for just a second about the ring though, because I think the ring is important. Uh, the ring, it's it's ductulios in Greek, and it can actually be in reference to a signet ring. It's not always, but it can be, and I believe here it is, and I think that's important. And the reason that's important is because of what a signet ring meant, what it signified. Right. It it essentially it was it was a picture of your of your authority in the house. Mm-hmm. Right. It was it was almost like the father. It was the father's stamp of authority upon the heir. Right. So in, for example, if you were in a, a palace, like like a, a royal house, they had signet rings. If you had the signet ring from the king, you could make, you could use it to seal declarations in the king's name. You could actually make laws and declarations on behalf of the king if you had a signet ring to stamp it with. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 a, it's a picture of authority. The father's sharing his authority with the son here. Right. And this is a picture of us. He's, he shares that with us. That doesn't make us equal with him. Don't mistake me. But it's, it's, it's him loving us so much that he wants us to share in his, in his authority with us. He grants that to us. He says, you are a son. You are an heir in my house. That's what the ring signified. Mm-hmm. He would have had that when he left. That's why I find this interesting. He would have had a signet ring when he left because he was an heir. But he right. doesn't have one anymore when he comes back, which tells me that at one point, the son had so despised his father's house that he sold the most important imagery of being an heir of the father, the signet ring. Right. At some point, he had even sold that, I believe, is what this picturing for us here. This is my opinion. We're not <laughs> explicitly told. Or, yeah, or otherwise giving it up. We're giving it up. Yeah. Right. Surrendered it or, or despised it. I get, like I say, this is my opinion. I'm reading into the text a bit. Right. So, so disclaimer there. Yeah. But I from, believe from here on. Yeah. It's yeah. 
But I do believe it paints a, an important picture that the son had so despised his father's house that he didn't even care about the the stamp of approval, you know, marking him as an heir. Mm-hmm. He got rid of the signet ring even. And the father's response to that was to give him another one. Yeah. It's unheard of. If 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 in that culture, if you would despise something like that, it was gone. Gone, yeah. It was gone. So for a father to have the kind of grace that's demonstrated here by the father to give the signet ring back, if that's what this is, that's huge. Right. That's huge. It's very important. The robes are important too, but like I say, we'll get into that on another episode. So verse 25, this is where we're going to get into what you were talking about. Right. The connection you wanted to make. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Fattened calf was like for a party, by the way. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a specific calf that you had just to slaughter for a party. It was safe. Right. It was a big deal. To right. slaughter the fattened calf was a big deal. Yeah, it's like that special bottle of wine you're saving. Yes. Right, the, the good vintage. Yeah. Or, you know, what it may be, something like that, yeah. Where did I leave off? Verse 28? Yes. But he became angry and was not willing to go in, and his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat, so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf, calf for him. Well, that's proof of what I was talking about with loose living, sinful lifestyle. Right. Like it's explicitly stated here. Very right. sinful lifestyle. Yeah, I was just, I've seen riotous living, loose living, and I think uh, squandered his wealth in wild living. Yeah. It's all. It's not a minor thing that the, the son who is forgiven here is not guilty of minor offenses or unintentional right. sins. He's guilty of severe, severe sins sin. right down to sexual debasement. Right. These are bad things that he's guilty of and still forgiven. That's important to remember that also. Verse 31, and he said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. That's the end of the chapter. And I do agree with you. I believe that that was, I wanted to read that in full because of what you referenced earlier about this being sort of a direct reference to the Pharisees there. Right. And I agree with that. The The prodigal son here is clearly a picture of the sinners and the tax collectors that he was eating with. Right. The Pharisees are pictured here with the older son, who's angry that the younger son is being allowed back in the house. And even celebrated. And celebrated, yeah. Well, you know, I think there's also a pang of jealousy there. Like, you've never celebrated me. And his response is, well... So much so you don't need to be celebrated. You already have everything that I have. Right. Right. This person didn't. He was lost and he's found. And that's where, you know, all three of these parables, the one of the sheep, the coin, and the son, the prodigal son, it, all three of them ended with a big party. Yeah. For something that a was lost. celebration of some kind, yeah. Yeah. For what was lost was found. Right. What was, what was not saved is now saved. Right. Yeah. And that's the that's what needs to be celebrated. And I think like you said, we 
and even as a church get wrapped up in, well, we need like celebrating ourselves too much. Right. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, or why should we celebrate that this, that, that this one person came? Well, he even said one person repenting is better than 99 that don't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That first parable. Yeah. So (laughs) it's just, like I said, I just, it's, I think it's important to draw that, the, the parallel that, you know, he was speaking to everybody in that crowd, not only as a response to what was being said, but also as a warning to both sides. Like, don't don't be jealous of the one that comes, and then the one that comes, don't be afraid to come. Yeah, absolutely right, because this is a twofold message, because you're right, there, there are two main groups in this crowd, those who are very sinful and, and des- understand their sinfulness, right. and those who are very self-righteous and don't see their lack. Right. And, and he's, he's sending a clear message with this parable of the prodigal son to both groups. He's telling the sinners, the father loves you. He desperately loves you and he wants a relationship with you, but you have to climb out of your pig pen. You have got to get back on the road to him. He's ready to run to you and embrace you, but you've got to climb out of the pig pen. But he's also telling the Pharisees here, you know, the father does love you. He loves you, but you have got to learn how to love your brother again. Exactly. And I, I, I adore how he addresses the Pharisees here because it's not excessively harsh. It's not hateful or vindictive. He reminds them, the Father does love you. Right. He does love you, but he doesn't love how you hate your neighbor. Right. And you've got to fix that. This is your brother that you're despising, and you've got to fix it. You've got yeah. to learn to love him like I do. It's so soft and so gentle, the way he's approaching this. It's, it's clear what he's saying, right? And there's this, it's not ambiguous. That's why I don't understand how I see this abuse so often. It's, it's very clear. We have to repent, but we also have to make sure that we, that we love those who need to repent. Right. Right. He's so gentle in his approach here. It's just this, this parable is beautiful. Yeah. I love it. It's, it's a perfect, the prodigal son is a perfect summary of the narrative of scripture. The narrative of scripture throughout is that we have strayed. We wanted the blessings. We didn't want the blessing giver, and we ran from the Father. Collectively, individually, we ran from him. And throughout Scripture, the narrative is how the Father is desperately reaching for us to draw us back to himself again through the person of Jesus Christ, through the person of Yeshua the Messiah. It's yep. beautiful. It, it summarizes the whole thing. You know, there's a lot more to it. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a big, a big huge Bible like this. I'm not right. saying that's the only thing you need to know, but it's a— it's a beautiful summarization of his heart. Yep. I think is what this is, his heart toward us and what our heart should be toward our neighbor. Because I think if we're being honest with ourselves, we've all been one of these two brothers at some point in our life. Yep. We've either been the prodigal or we've been the, the envious, vindictive older brother. Yep. We can't point the finger at other groups and say they're guilty of that. We have to be able to look in the mirror and see where we've been guilty of that and correct it. The, the Bible is not, it's not a weapon for you to wield against others. It's a mirror. It's a mirror for you to see where you're lacking and where you need to ad- address your relationship with him and improve it. Yep. That's the whole purpose. If you're using it any other way, you're using it abusively and I've been guilty of it. Not saying don't share the truth, but don't become the older brother because yep. it's very easy. 
it's very easy to become the older brother here. Do you want to say it? Let's pull the needle off the record. You wanted to say <laughs> that for some. No. Yes, we are now. No, 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 you're a broken record. No, no I'm, uh, I was. Uh, I stole the line of. Let's uh, land this plane. You did. That was the one you stole. And he called me out on it, he too. He did. He did. did. Well, he can't anymore. You're, but that was, you're one I, of to, us now. To be honest, though, that was before I had heard him say that. Because the the few episodes I when that when we were introduced when I was introduced to the to broken records was he had used. Let's pull the needle off this record. I yeah. had not heard him say. But then, as I started going back and listening to like to archived i was like oh yeah he has used that a lot uh, yeah. <laughs> it does seem like i <laughs> stole it well, are we going to do final thoughts or are we just going to no yeah we'll, okay we'll, we'll pull it off pull the needle off and we'll do final thoughts real quick before we okay. do our conclusion right on our outro um what you got so i mean i think it's important to remember that um for our for the father's standpoint how easy it must have been for the son or, you know, like you said, we've all been on both sides of this, but how easy was it How or how much more easy it could be to come home when you know the doors open, right? When you know you will be welcomed. I think that's why it's important that us, we as Ecclesia are, ready to celebrate the ones that return or the ones that we pick up because how easy is it how easier it would be for people to think well the doors will be open and i will be celebrated versus well the doors are open but i'm gonna get judged Mm -hmm. how i think that that mentality keeps a lot of people from coming back yeah and that's why it's important that, and I'm guilty of this, when people come back or come no matter what they've done, you can't judge them for what they've did. Judge them as, don't, you know, I guess don't judge them at all. Just love them as they are. Be encouragers, not discouragers. Yep. Yep. I agree. Just how, how much easier it would be for people to come if that were the case. Yep. I think I want to connect this to the Day of Atonement. So Ronnie hates it when we timestamp episodes, so I'm going to break his rule right off the bat. Right. I'm going to timestamp this. It's it's October 2022. Oof. Yeah, I'm hard, <laughs> hard timestamp. And uh, at the time of upload, if, as long as I get this done, <laughs> when I'm supposed to get this done, It'll be according to, to, to my, my understanding of the calendar of the Day of Atonement. It's part of the fall holy days. So I'm just going to give a, a brief synopsis because I think it connects to what we've just talked about. Uh, in the fall holy days, it starts off in the seventh biblical month with the Feast of Trumpets, or Yom Teruah, the Day of Sounding, is what it's called. Right. And essentially what it requires is you have a, a special Sabbath for that day and you blow a shofar. Or you you sing worship, or you make a make a shout for the Lord. Yeah, right? it's a, a joyful it's, noise. Yes, exactly. It's an announcement. Mm-hmm. Essentially, what it is, it's an announcement that something started. Exactly ten days later, on the tenth day of the seventh month, is what's called the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and that's when the atonement is made for the people of Israel. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a it's a picture of covering our sin. 
it's really a picture of Jesus is what it is. It's, 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 a, it's a foreshadowing of the perfect atonement that we have in Jesus. It was always pointing to him. Now Yom, or Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, points back to the atonement. But as a holy period, it's, a, it's, it's really a time of repentance. Mm-hmm. So traditionally, that 10-day span between the, the, the Day of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement is called the 10 Days of All, right? And what tradition calls you know, the, the trumpets is the day that it's sealed. I'm sorry, the day that it's written. And the Day of Atonement is called the day that it's sealed. So what's written about you on trumpets is sealed on atonement. And the whole purpose of the 10 days between is to repent. Right. So essentially what we have a picture of here is trumpets announces, hey, you're in a pig pen. You've strayed from, it's like the father saying, you've strayed from me. You've wandered from my house, you're in a pig pen. And that 10 day span is your opportunity to climb out of the pig pen and walk back to the father's house. And the day of atonement is the day that it's sealed, that he runs to embrace you if right. you return to him, right? Tony Evans says it really awesome. I don't know if it's original to him, but I've, I've shared it before. And he says, grace is essentially, there's a space of time between judgment declared and judgment applied. That space between is grace. That's what's pictured essentially in that holy period. That 10-day right. period between is that period of grace. He, he declares the judgment on trumpets. He applies it on atonement, right? right? And it all comes down to whether or not you choose to climb out of the pig pen and return to him. I want to read something. I got to pull it up real quick. There's a traditional prayer that's recited on the Day of Atonement. I very irresponsibly didn't have this pulled up beforehand because I kind of forgot that I was going to read it until just now. <laughs> it's okay. We're a mix of yeah, and then just dead silence because you're looking on your phone. So the, the, the prayer starts out like this, that they pray on atonement. And it's, it's, it's graphic because it's a picture of his justice, right? right? Which is accurate. He is a just God. And it says, on the Feast of Trumpets, it is written. On the Day of Atonement, it is sealed. How many shall pass on? How many shall come to be? Who shall live and who shall die? Who shall see ripe age and who shall not? Who shall perish by fire and who by water? Who by sword and who by beast? Who by hunger and who by thirst? Who by earthquake and who by plague? Who by strangling and who by stoning? Who shall be secure and who shall be driven? Who shall be tranquil and who shall be troubled? Who shall be poor and who shall be rich? Who shall be humbled and who exalted? But then the prayer goes on to say this. This is how the prayer closes. This is your glory. You are slow to anger, ready to forgive. It is not the death of sinners you seek, but that they should turn from their ways and live. Until the last day you wait for them, welcoming them as soon as they turn to you. It's that last part that really tugs at my heart, I think. Because that first part of the prayer is, it's absolutely accurate. He is severe in his justice. He absolutely is. But he's also incomprehensible in his love. 
those two characteristics exist in him simultaneously, and they always have. He is just, but he's also loving. And he doesn't want to have to apply his justice. It's the whole point of grace. It's the whole point of that period, that opportunity to turn from your sins. And he says, and they say here, you wait until the last day. What that tells me is that he warns and warns and warns and warns, and he doesn't apply the justice until the absolute last second possible for you to repent. He gives you every second he can possibly give you. And if you wait till that very last second, he will still, just like the prodigal son, run to you, run to you to embrace you and celebrate because he loves you. He loves you so much that he waits until the last day waiting for you to come to your senses. And he'll send famine. He'll send storm. He'll send trouble. If that's what it takes to get your attention, cannot despise him for that. He sends it because he loves you and he wants you to return to him because that's the only way. It's the only way, right? But we have to climb out of our pig pen. We have to stop abusing his grace. We have to stop trampling the blood. We have got to get out of our pig pen and genuinely regret our sins and have a true heart change and a desire to obey him. His will, his way. Not your pastor's will, your pastor's way. His will, his way. We have to start seeking him and his kingdom first. It matters. He loves you. He's waiting for you. He'll give you every second possible. But you have to have a heart that loves him back. He loves you first, but you have to get to a place where you want to learn to love him back. That's my final thought. To all you out in podcast land, we want to thank you so much for listening, and we hope it's been a blessing to you. For any questions, comments, or feedback, you can find us on Facebook, or you can email us at brokenrecordministries at gmail.com. Again, this has been Digging Deeper, a publication of Broken Record Ministries, and we will catch you on the flip side. Shalom. God bless. Singing glory, hallelujah.